Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. This is found on page 553 in your pew Bible. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to take that one home as a gift from us. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things, yet to be among those who come after. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, welcome to Christ Community this morning. My name is Bill Gorman. If I haven't met you before, we're really glad that you are here with us as we begin this new series in the book of Ecclesiastes. And as we prepare to do that now, let me just pause and pray for a moment for us now. Father in heaven, thank you for uh, this particular uh, part of the scriptures, this collection of wisdom that you've given to us. And I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us now and in the coming weeks to understand uh, what you are communicating to us through this part of your word. In Jesus' name, by the power of the Spirit who is within us. Amen. Well, after reading that, maybe you thought, can we really say thanks be to God for that? <laughs> you know, happy Sunday, everyone. Welcome to this new series, Life Up in Smoke is what we're calling it. Uh, everything is futile. Uh, no one's going to remember you after you die, so go in peace. Have a great week. Um, Maybe you thought, wait, is this, did Mike, was he reading the Bible or is this Jean-Paul Sartre this morning? What, 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 uh, what were we reading today? And, and uh, maybe after you heard that passage read, you maybe felt a little bit like uh, the Scream painting um, by Edward Munch. Uh, is this really in the Bible? Could this possibly be something that God is communicating to us? And this is why we didn't preach this series when we had originally planned to, because we actually have had this series planned for a long time, for exactly two years, actually. Uh, it was April of 2020. Uh, we had everything ready to go, graphics, everything. We had this great series lined up called Life Up in Smoke. But we thought April 2020, that was just a little too on the nose as we were all locked in our homes waiting for the zombie apocalypse to happen. We thought maybe the message of Life Up in Smoke isn't exactly what our congregation needs to hear. So we pivoted and we did a series in the Psalms which I think was the right choice. But we had the series ready to go. So now that everything's looking up, things are starting to look great again, we just want to remind you, you know, it could all fall apart at any moment. <laughs> um, just want to make sure we don't get complacent on, on that. And of course, right, we know that, I mean, especially after COVID and all that we went through in that, we, we, I think we all know, right, that, that life is, is fleeting, that things can change in a moment. Um, but what I think is significant this morning is that the Bible knows that also. And one of the reasons that we can trust this book 
is that the Bible doesn't try to hide from the suffering and the futility that we experience. Uh, Nor does it merely sort of glance at the suffering in the world and have kind of a a Pollyanna approach saying, cheer up though, you know, it's all going to be good one day, you know, just put a smile on your face in the midst of it. Now the Bible tells the truth about reality, tells the truth about what it's like to live outside of the garden, outside of the place that we were designed to live. Uh, It's a reality that Edvard Munch, the artist who painted the scream, felt deeply. I think he was probably a kindred spirit with the teacher of Ecclesiastes. Uh, Born in Oslo in 1863, the majority of his art was produced around the turn of the 20th century, so kind of the late 1800s, early 1900s. And he, in his life, experienced a lot of sadness. He lost his mother at a young age. He was raised by a father who experienced deep mental health struggles. And his work, his art, much of it captures that experience that he had. In fact, in that painting, the screen that we were looking at just a moment ago, you see these two people in the background, and they're strolling along this bridge, walking along the way, sort of as if everything is fine in the world. But then this character who's facing us, viewing the painting, seems to be sort of screaming that everything is not okay. Don't you see that the world is deeply, deeply broken? And in one of the editions of this painting, Munch wrote at the bottom of the print, I felt the great scream pass through nature. And you see the figure covering their ears against the the scream and the sound waves kind of reverberating through them. Much like the teacher or the preacher in Ecclesiastes, Munch's art shows us what life under the sun is like, what life outside the garden feels like. And in our message this morning, we're actually going to look at several of Munch's paintings because this book of Ecclesiastes in particular isn't just concerned with communicating sort of propositions or ideas, but capturing a feeling. What does it feel like to live life under the sun? What does it feel like to live in a world that doesn't work as it's supposed to? And Munch's art captures that feeling so well. So what is life like under the sun? Uh, Is there any hope here under the sun? That's what we want to look at in this passage. And today we're going to see three signs that we're living under the sun and one hope for a way forward. So three signs and then one hope. Now, if you find Ecclesiastes, if you didn't turn there earlier, you can go to the table of contents because maybe it's been a while or maybe never that you've looked at the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. I wouldn't blame you if you had never read it before. But it's, if you turn and kind of open your Bible in the middle, you'll find roughly, you'd probably find like Psalms or Proverbs is probably where if you just flop a Bible open in the middle, that's where you're going to find. Ecclesiastes is the book right after Proverbs. Um, again, or you can just look in your table of contents. That's what it's there for. But I'd love for you to follow along with me here in chapter one this morning. And the first sign we see in Ecclesiastes chapter one that we're living life under the sun is that progress escapes you. That progress escapes you. Uh, take a look again at verses one through four. This is the, Engl- or the uh, Christian standard Bible. I think captures these verses well. It says, the words of the teacher, a son of David, king in Jerusalem, Absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. 
What does a person gain for all his efforts that he labors under the sun? A generation comes and a generation goes, but the earth remains forever. That everything we do is sort of fleeting and passes away. We can't seem to make any real or lasting progress. And we want to explore that idea a little bit more this morning. But first, there's two key questions that we need to answer if we're going to understand this book. And, and Ecclesiastes is a hard book to understand. I'm just going to warn you at the beginning. It's a complicated book. It's wisdom literature. It's designed to help us to think, but it needs to be read carefully and over and over again. But there's two key things we need to to understand right up front if we're going to understand this book rightly. And that is to answer the question, one, who is the, the preacher or the teacher that we, whose voice we hear in much of the book? And then secondly, what does this word futility or vanity mean? I've got a video that's going to help us with both those things, so take a look. If you want to watch the rest of that really helpful overview of the book, you can just Google read scripture and then the word Ecclesiastes, and you can watch a longer uh, version of that video, but it gives us a good introduction to who is the teacher, who is a character in the book, different than the author from the book, as well as this idea of this, this life up in smoke, where we're getting that idea of this hevel, this vapor, this mist that characterizes so much of our life under the sun. And the first hard lesson that the teacher drives home here in chapter one is that progress often escapes us. Because if you keep reading then in verse 5, the author, or rather the teacher, says this, the sun rises and the sun sets, panting, it returns to the place where it rises, gusting to the south, turning to the north, turning, turning, goes the wind, and the wind returns and it cycles. And all the streams flow to the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. The sense of we just keep repeating the same things over and over and over again without really moving forward. All that has been is what is and will continue to be. And do you want to know what, honestly, the first thing that came to mind when I read those verses about futility and the sea being full or the streams going there but the sea never fills up all, the very first thing that came to my mind, I'm just being honest with you, was dishes. Because at my house, it's like the dishes are just, they're never done. You, you load the dishwasher, I come home from work, I, I unload the dishwasher, I put everything away, and then the next day, the sink is full again, the dishes have to be loaded, they have to be unloaded, washed. I mean, think paper plates are sort of a raging protest against the hevel of dishes that just return and return and return. Or fashion, right? Fashion just it keeps coming back, right? The stuff from the 1980s, even the 1990s is coming back in. I hear that skinny jeans are out. I don't know if these are too skinny. I don't know if I'm out of, of fashion now, uh, but I'm going to hang on to them because at some point, they're going to come back in, right? So maybe next week, you'll see me wearing really baggy pants. I don't know. But right now, keeping these, these jeans. Um, but think about war as well. I mean, people, for as long as there have been people around, they've been battling and fighting over resources and conflict and war, and people have been war fighting for thousands of years, but there's nothing new under the sun. We still fight and kill one another. Sure, tanks have replaced chariots, and assault rifles have replaced arrows and archers, and cruise missiles have replaced catapults, but it's still the same thing. Conflict and battle and war. Or in relationships, right? People still 
throughout time. It's looked different in different ways, but people marry and fall in love. They have conflict and divorce. We maybe don't use a matchmaker, but now we use match.com. Maybe you don't go to an adult bookstore, but there's internet pornography. There's nothing new under the sun. People still lust and fight and hurt one another and divorce and relationships break. It's the same thing. As hard as we try to make progress in our individual lives and in cultures as a whole, Ultimately, we live out the same stories over and over again. And you can work super hard, and even what little progress you may make in your own life is often lost in the next generation. He doesn't care about what you've done or is just ended by your own death. So if you feel the despair captured here by Munch in his painting called Despair, you know that you're living life under the sun. And I hope that you don't feel like this every day, but I think all of us have days where we do feel like that. Notice that he captures that, that same bridge that he painted the scream on. And notice the figures in the painting are under the sun. They're under this blood-orange setting sun. Well, here's another sign that you're living under the sun. The second sign is this, that satisfaction eludes you. So, so progress escapes you, but also satisfaction eludes you. And you see this in verse 8, where that all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. There's always another thing to see or hear or do or experience, another show to watch, another movie to see, a book to read, a place to visit, an experience to have, a hobby to learn, a restaurant to try, a meal that we are never seem to be satisfied. We're never really filled up. We get satisfaction for a moment, but we can't keep, seem to keep it. And Arthur Brooks, who's a professor of sociology at Harvard University, was formerly the president of the American Enterprise Institute, uh, recently wrote a book called From Strength to Strength. And in The Atlantic, back in February, he published an article that wrestles with this phenomenon that he deals with in the book of how we struggle to find and keep satisfaction. And he starts out by pointing that the satisfaction problem is a universal problem, even for highly successful people. And he gives a couple of different examples. He gives the example, first, of LeBron James. And he writes, I remember once seeing LeBron James, the world's greatest basketball player, with a look of abject despair on his face after his Cleveland Cavaliers lost the NBA championship to the Golden State Warriors. All the world's wealth and accolades were like straw in that moment of loss. But it isn't just a modern phenomenon or a Western phenomenon that we study with this issue of how can we keep and maintain satisfaction. As Brooks tells another story in the article about Abdel al-Rahman III, who ruled as the emir and caliph in 10th century Spain. And at age 70, he wrote these words. He says, I have now reigned for 50 years in victory or peace, beloved by my subjects, dreaded by my enemies, respected by my allies. Riches and honor and power and pleasure have waited on my call. But what is the payoff after 70 years, 50 years of reign as king? He says, I have diligently numbered the days of pure and genuine happiness which have fallen to my lot, he wrote, and they amount to 14 70 years of life, 50 years as the king. And you know, on reflecting on it, he says, 14 days. 
Have I lived in, in genuine happiness and pleasure? 14 out of 70. I mean, that's not very good. And so Arthur Brooks writes this. He says, it's so simple, and yet its power is deeply encoded within us. Give a three-year-old the French fries she is reaching for and see the satisfied, her satisfied expression. But then after a couple of seconds, watch the wanting return. And that's the actual problem, isn't it? The Stone song really should have been titled, I Can't Keep No Satisfaction. It's almost as if our brains are programmed to prevent us from enjoying anything for very long. So as a result, we worry and we strive and we feel anxiety and we're weary, which is the title this, of anxiety is the title of this other uh, painting by Edward Munch, again, on the same bridge, under the same sun, under the sun. Again, the scream focused on that kind of isolated individual. Here in anxiety, Munch captures this worry and anxiety. It touches us all, rich and poor, young and old, male and female. We all deal with this anxiety under the sun. Or as Johnny Cash put it, success is having to worry about everything in the world except money. Even if you have all the money, that's just the one thing you don't have to worry about. You still have to worry about everything else, is Cash's point. We try so hard to understand why this is the case, and yet even understanding so often eludes us. Why is this way? Why do we feel this way? Why do we experience this? And the answers often come up short, which is the third sign this morning that we're living under the sun, that understanding evades you. The teacher tells us in verses 16 and 17 that he's done more study, more research, more searching than anyone else before him, and he still comes up short. Here's how Eugene Peterson paraphrases those verses in his version called The Message. Verse 16, he says, I said to myself, I know more and I'm wiser than any before me in Jerusalem. I've stockpiled wisdom and knowledge. And what I finally concluded is that so-called wisdom and knowledge are mindless and witless, nothing but spitting into the wind. You know, and it's often those who are most brilliant, the most brilliant philosophers, researchers, writers, professors, who often find themselves despairing. Because the more you learn, so often the less you seem to know. As one writer so succinctly put it in her novel, The Time Traveler's Wife, everything seems simple until you think about it. Everything seems simple until you think about it. And think about that. The greater your insight into the problems, the more oftentimes you understand just how complex and intractable they really are. How difficult it really is to solve the core problems of our world, which is exactly what the teacher says in verse 18. For with much wisdom is much sorrow, and as knowledge increases, grief increases. And again, Edvard Munch captures that, that feeling of that reality so poignantly in his painting titled Melancholy. As knowledge increases, grief increases. That the more you know, often the less you seem to understand, the deeper the questions are, the harder it is to get real answers. So friends, this is life under the sun, where progress escapes us, satisfaction eludes us, understanding evades us. 
So have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week. Come back for six more weeks of this. This is where we have to remember that the teacher is showing us that that is the conclusion we'll come to. If the only type of knowing we use is an anonymous type of knowing that just relies on reason and observation alone. If that's all we're using is reason and observation of what we can see and measure, and t- that, that is the conclusion we're going to come to. That's what the teacher wants us to, to see. But again, the author, remember there are two different voices in the book, the author and the teacher. The author wants to show us there is another kind of knowing, though, a relational knowing that offers a way forward to a life beyond the sun. And here's the main point this morning. I hope if you only write down one thing today, it's this. That life under the smoke is, under the, under the sun is hevel. It's smoke, it's meaningless, it's futile. But there is life over the sun. Life under the sun is smoke. But there is life over the sun. There is life over the sun. We actually get a glimpse of it in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 7, where the teacher says, light is sweet, and it is pleasing for the eyes to see the sun. And then later in chapter 12, we actually get the author's conclusion. Again, remember there's two voices. There is the teacher, and then there's the author. As the author is sort of summing up, here is the conclusion. He writes this, verse 13 of chapter 12. When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this, fear God and keep his commandments, because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. And and there's great hope in this idea of judgment, because what that means is that one day, God is going to clear away all the smoke, all the vapor, all the, the confusion, all the futility, and bring about true justice and true meaning and true knowledge, true wisdom. Which leads us to the final Edvard Munch painting I want to share with you this morning. It's simply titled, The Sun. And it stands in stark contrast to his other works that we've looked at, right? The brilliant colors. And scholars who study Munch's work point out that the sun is indeed a representation of God in this painting, the source of all life. So how do we live a truly wise life under the sun, outside of the garden, outside of the place that we were made for? How do we live life under the sun in this moment? Well, that's what the rest of the series in Ecclesiastes is going to be about. How do we live a truly good and wise life outside of the garden, under the sun, waiting for life over the sun to begin breaking in? That's what we're going to to be going in the coming weeks. But I want to give you three quick helps this morning as we wrap up today. The first is this. Face the signs, don't ignore them. Face the signs, don't ignore them. We, we can't live a wise life if we just put our heads into the sand and ignore the signs that we are living under the sun, that we are living outside the garden. That will actually set you up for a crisis of faith because eventually you won't be able to ignore them. Something will happen whether it's a personal crisis or a global pandemic, that will bring the reality of life under the sun to you. So let the teacher do his work in Ecclesiastes. But deconstruct your culture, not your faith. Let the teacher knock down the things that we so often look to for hope and confidence, things like pleasure and wealth and success and work 
Let him deconstruct those things in our culture so that your faith can remain strong. Let the teacher poke holes in our common responses to suffering and frustration and futility. So that's the first thing. Face the signs, don't ignore them. Second, expect frustration, don't be surprised by it. A wise life knows that everything isn't simple. A wise life knows that our best efforts will sometimes fail, that good things don't always happen to good people, that bad things often happen to good people, that, that the world doesn't always seem to operate on the principles of justice that we seem to understand, that wisdom doesn't always seem to make sense in the world as we understand it. Tim Mackey, who is the leader of the Bible Project and helped put together the video we watched er- earlier, says this, Ecclesiastes wants us to accept Hevel, to accept that everything is out of our control. And then put our trust, our total trust in God, which frees us to enjoy life as we actually experience it. Expect the frustration. Don't be surprised by it. And then finally, live for something more. Don't forget there is life over the sun. Live for something more, and don't forget there's life over the sun. That there is one over the sun who is bringing life and light to this world under the sun and that that light is beginning to break in even now. Because our hope is that the sun, the son of God who came from over the sun to under the sun so that we could be brought back into relationship with the one who made us, who makes life meaningful even when nothing seems to make sense. Because friends, Jesus doesn't just make progress, he remakes all things. He doesn't just give you satisfaction. He himself is satisfaction, the fullness of joy. Jesus just doesn't give you wisdom and understanding. He himself is wisdom. He is understanding. He is the word, the logos made flesh, come to live with us. And on the cross, he felt the fullness of the scream of nature. He experienced all of our despair and anxiety and melancholy. He's called the man of sorrows. Why? because he knew better than anyone else the depth and the brokenness of the world. As much as that as we experience, Jesus, who lived the only truly good and wise life, understood that at a depth that we will never experience. But friends, he bore it all on the cross and rose again from the dead, the sun bursting forth from the absurdity of the grave to forever rob death of its power to steal hope. Friends, we do live life under the sun, outside the garden, and we feel it every day. But there is life over the sun. He has come near, and it's breaking in even now. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this book of Ecclesiastes that challenges us so deeply. I pray that during this time, you would form us into a people collective people who live good and wise lives outside of the garden as we await for the sun to return again to make all things new. Would we feel the brokenness of life outside the garden and yet bear witness to the hope that we have over the sun? For our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, would we live these kinds of good and wise lives in the power of the Spirit? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.